starting in verse 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the, Lord, the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. Until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobey your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Please join me in prayer. God, we, we thank you that you are overwhelming. As we sang that song, I couldn't help but think of your conversation with Job, where Job asked, you know, Lord, where are you? And you replied, okay, Job, where were you? And so, God, when we're tempted in our own lives to say, God, where are you? Remind us that where were we? Where were we when you plumbed the depths of the ocean? Where were we when you raised the mountain peaks? We haven't tread across the tops of this earth. We haven't seen the heavenly storehouses laden with hail. We can't tell lightning where to go. God, we're not there. You are. That is who you are. May we always have a holy sense of being overwhelmed by your magnitude, by how great you are. May this time be a continuation of that worship. God, speak in this time. Holy Spirit, lead us in, in, in understanding and knowing. Teach us truth. We want this to be about you, not about us. And we need you for that to happen. We need you to do what only you can do in our hearts, in our lives, and in this place. God, may we present ourselves right now in this moment, in this service, as a sacrifice wholly given to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a quick recap, like I said, we've been, we've been in Joshua chapter one for three weeks, but I really think this is a really fascinating chapter for how it builds on itself and how it grows. And so just a recap of where we've been so far in Joshua chapter one. In the first five verses, Joshua one, one through five, you have this presentation of who Yahweh is. We saw the theme of Joshua, that this is who God is. He goes before us. He fights for us. He fights with us. In those first five verses, we see that Yahweh is faithful to fulfill his promises. That's who he is. We see that God, that Yahweh positions and equips people deliberately for his glory as part of his plan. The first five verses of Joshua chapter 1 are, this is who Yahweh is. This is what Yahweh does. And then the next several verses are where God now is talking to Joshua directly and he's commanding him, okay, so therefore be strong and courageous. And so if the first five verses are, this is who Yahweh is, the next several verses, verses six through nine, are this is how you individually respond to the person of Yahweh. 
First five verses, this is who Yahweh is. Next three verses, this is how you then as an individual respond to Yahweh. Right? We looked at that theme of our response is rooted in faith in God. That strength, that courage, that standing firm and resolute that comes from a deep abiding faith in God. This is our individual response to the person and the promise and the nature of Yahweh. And then you come to these last several verses, verses 10 through 18. And if the, the ones right before it were an individual response, in verses 10 through 18, I believe we then see, okay, this is your corporate response to who Yahweh is. Chapter 1 begins with, this is who God is. This is how you individually respond to it. And now in these verses, I, I really think we see this, okay, this is how you then as a body collectively, as one family, one body, one people respond to who Yahweh is. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. If last week we looked at the individual response, that strength and courage, that be firm, that comes from being rooted in Jesus. Remember, this all comes back to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. And that will continue to be true of today. So keep in mind the lessons from last week, that the response, the response that we're called to is rooted in faith, rooted in the person of Jesus, and now this week, we're going to look at what does that look like on a large scale. If last week was a micro scale, this week is the macro scale. What does the big picture response look like? Because in these verses, I think we really see some fascinating details of how God has set up his people to function. And specifically, it starts with, in verse 10 and 11, you see structure that God has placed for his people. And what we see is that God has designed for his people a model of shared leadership. Look at verses 10 and 11. And Joshua, so God has been talking to Joshua, and he said, hey, this is what you need to get ready to do. And then Joshua goes in verse 10, and Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. It's shared leadership. Joshua doesn't go out and talk to every single person individually. God gives Joshua the marching orders. Joshua goes to the rest of the shared leadership and says, okay, this is what we're doing. Now you go and you take it to the people you're responsible for, the tribes you're responsible for. This is, again, something. What do I always say? Never, never just take my word for it. I'm, I, I don't ever want to be up here and say, this is just my opinion. My thought is always going to be, okay, what does Scripture say? Do we see this anywhere else in Scripture? And I think we see this resoundingly throughout Scripture. Moses' father-in-law, for one, gave him wise counsel. Hey, you need to go find people to share the leadership with you. But it's not just Moses' father-in-law either. In Numbers 11, 16 through 17, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people, and officers over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. So we see first, in this first passage, that shared leadership is healthy for the people in leadership. It's unhealthy for one person to try and do it all. They're going to burn out. They can't manage that. So in Numbers, God lays out, look, so that you don't have to bear this alone, find people to share this burden with. This is the importance of shared leadership. And then in Acts, we also see that this is healthy for the body. This isn't, it's never just about one person or one group of people. In Acts 6, 1 through 7, it's talking about that the title of this section is Seven Chosen to Serve. And what you happen, just a little bit of context for Acts 6, we won't read the whole passage. We're going to look at a couple specific verses. But in Acts 6, 1 through 7, you have the, the leaders of the early church, the elders, 
trying to lead the church. They're trying to lead them in spiritual teaching. They're trying to lead them in prayer. They're trying to lead them in the spiritual aspect of being the body. And the physical elements of being the body are being neglected. Right? They provided for one another. They provided bread for the widows. They took care of one another. And because the elders are busy with these other things, the other stuff, the, the physical care for the body has fallen to the neglect. And it's being tossed aside. Not tossed aside in that it's totally abandoned, but it's not being managed as well as it should be. And the people are feeling the repercussions of this. And so the 12, starting in verse 2, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So we have our responsibility. In leadership, we have our responsibility. But this other stuff is still important. No, they don't say, or I note that they don't say, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to do this, so we're just going to scrap this aspect of being the body. They say, no, this is what we've been called to. We've been called to preach. But this other stuff is still important. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. This isn't a lesser task. What's it say? It says, pick out people who are full of the Spirit. Pick out people who are full of wisdom. This is important. We want to treat this seriously. But it's too much for just us to handle ourselves. Let's share the leadership. Let's expand the role of who's in leadership so that people aren't being neglected. So throughout Scripture, we see, and it goes on to talk about more of the details. It's the implementation of deacons in the body of Christ. And so we see that going back to Moses going to Joshua, going to the New Testament, that God has structured his body to have shared leadership for both the health of the leaders and the health of the people. Because that's when everyone will be able to operate best as they were created to do, as they were equipped to do, as they were called to do, when you have this shared leadership model. And we see that in verses 10 through 11. And then we see a very key element of this. The people submitted to it. The people responded to it, right? When you look at later chapters in Joshua, it's not, Joshua says to the leaders, he says to the elders, okay, go out among the people you're responsible for. Tell them to get ready because we're about to move out. And then when we go on through the book of Joshua and we get to the point where it's time for them to move out, we don't see, and the people weren't ready because they said, well, we didn't hear it directly from Joshua. We, you know, Joshua didn't come talk to me personally so I didn't pack up my tent. No, the people were ready because their leaders had come to them and said, get ready, we're about to do this. Because just as leadership is meant to be shared, what we'll see as we continue to look at Scripture, what we see in the response is that there has to be a submission to that leadership. And when there is, that's when the body operates as it's designed to. When you have both leaders willing to lead and to take that burden to take that mantle. We'll look at the different expectations that God has for the two pieces later. But for right now, let's look at this, that this is when the body is best. Judges 5.2, so the next book after Joshua. Judges 5.2, what has just happened in the people of Israel is they fought this battle and they've won. There's been victory over a foe. And the people who led them in this victory write a song of praise and celebration. In Joshua, or Judges 5.2, Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day. Listen to, what, listen to what they praised God for. That the leaders took the lead in Israel and that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. See, without either half of that, that's an incomplete body. That the leaders took the lead. Praise God. Deborah and Barak, they write this, that the leaders took the lead. Lord, we praise you that you raised up leaders to lead. 
But if it just stops there, the body is incomplete. If it just stops there, the body is ineffective. What's the second half of that? That the leaders took the lead, praise God. That the people offered themselves willingly, praise God. Because the leaders were Deborah and Barak. And I can tell you this, I mean, God can do anything supernaturally, absolutely. But if just two people had gone out to war against an entire kingdom, I don't think it would have gone very well. If the people hadn't submitted to the leadership of Deborah and Barak, if they hadn't gone out with them, if they hadn't offered themselves to the service of the Lord, I don't see that going very well for the people of Israel. We need everyone. This requires all of us. The kingdom of God was never meant to rest on the shoulders of one person, of five people, of seven people. It requires everyone to be in the position, the role that God has laid out for them. Consider 1 Chronicles 29. This is one of my favorite Old Testament chapters. 1 Chronicles 29. This is David talking about the temple. If you remember, David wanted to build the temple. He felt burdened to build the temple. And God said, no, that wasn't your role. That wasn't why I called you. That wasn't why I appointed you to be king. Not to build the temple. That's for Solomon. And so David offers his thoughts on that in, in 1 Chronicles 29. This is the first nine verses. We're going to kind of skim through. David the king said to all the assembly, so the people are there. And David the king said, Solomon, my son, whom God alone has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able. So you start with David and Solomon, and David acknowledges, look, there's two of us here. I've provided as much as I can. Solomon's going to do as much as he can, but that's not enough. And David goes on to say, so this is what I've done. I've provided. I've led. David acknowledges, I have led as I've been called to lead. And then he asks a question in verse 5. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Who will offer willingly? David readily acknowledges, look, what I and Solomon are doing, it's not going to be enough. So who's going to step up and offer themselves willingly? What do you see in verse 6? Then the leaders of the fathers' houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers of the king's work. So David sets the standard. David sets the model. David sets the example. He says, this is what I've done. Who's going to step up? And then the leaders below David, still over people, say, okay, we'll step up. We will step up and we will offer what we can in the role we are called to, in the capacity that we have. We will respond to this. And then it goes further on in verse 9. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. You see that it requires every level. It starts with the leadership of David. It starts with the example of David. And he says, okay, this is what I've done. Solomon, this is the standard for you. Who else? And then the leaders of the people, they step up and they respond to the challenge. And then the people step up and they respond to their leadership. It requires all of us. The elders and I, we've presented you with this vision for the culture we want here, a culture of relentless pursuit. We're going to keep introducing things that seem big because we believe we've been called to a big task as God's people to advance his kingdom. It will require all of us. It will require you. Right now, where you are, it will require you. And I pray that this church body will be able to sing the song of Judges 5-2, where we can say that the leaders led and the people offered themselves willingly. Praise God. 
Because if either element of that checks out, we're in deep trouble. Because this is not how it's meant to be. The body is not meant to be all about a small group of people. But the body requires leadership. Both of these elements are here in Joshua. Both of these elements are in Judges. Both of these elements are in the New Testament. It requires all of us. Really, Sam, are you sure? You're sure you're not just saying that? That it requires all of us? Does God really have expectations for each half of that? I think so. But let's look at what God says. Let's look at what Scripture says. Because I can tell you that I'm firmly convicted that God expects both elements of that sentence, that the leaders led and the people offered themselves willingly. I believe that God has very firm and clear expectations of both elements of that. James 3.1 Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Luke 12, 48, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I absolutely believe that I will be held to the highest standard of anyone in this room. I do. Because I accepted this position. I accepted this invitation, and part of that was accepting the responsibility. It's why I take this so seriously. It's why I tell the elders, look, you think I have high standards for you, you should see the standards I have for myself, but guess what? I've, I've got high standards for your elders. It's why I then say to you, you guys think I have high standards for you, you should see the high standards I have for the elders. But guess what? I have high standards for you all. Because I know and believe that I will be held responsible for teaching. I will be held responsible for how I led. I believe the elders will be held responsible for how they led. In that sentence that the leaders led, praise God, I believe God has laid out very clear expectations of a high standard for those in leadership. Oh, I'm glad I'm not in leadership. That'd be tough to have those standards. At least I don't have any standards like that. Well, let's see what God said in Hebrews. Hebrews 13, 17. Keep in mind, also keep in mind 1 Peter 5, where it said, set an example. What did Paul write in his letters? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Paul, once again, recognized the higher standard on him as a leader. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. But he fully expected that the people would be imitating him. In 1 Peter 5, if it's talking about set an example, the implication is then there are people who are following that example. There are people who are observing what you do in leadership, and that will determine their behavior, so you better set them a godly example because they are going to emulate your behavior for the good or the bad. And then in Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. God, once again, look, look, leadership, you're going to have to give an account for how you led. But people, if they are leading you in a godly way, then you better obey and submit to them. Let them do this. So God says, obey and submit to your leaders, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And then he goes on, he says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. God says in Hebrews, 
Look, you submit to your leadership, and it needs to be in a way that it's a joy for them to lead you. Because leading you with groaning, that's not to your advantage. God lays out standards for both elements that the people offered themselves willingly. David said in the Old Testament, this work is great. We can't do it by ourselves. And then it said, then the people rejoiced because they had offered themselves willingly. They gave what they could to the work of the Lord. We see that it requires all of us going back to this model set forth in the people of Israel and Joshua. And when that happens, that's a beautiful thing. As we submit to the leadership of Christ, as we submit to his headship, remember this is all about Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. So there is a mutual submission to the head of the church, to the person of Jesus, as we are his body. This is what's laid out for us. And then God doesn't stop there. He doesn't just lay out this example and then not provide any follow-up. I think in Joshua we see clear follow-up of the standards of what that looks like. I think it looks like mutual support and commitment to one another. I, I, I really think, I think the body is meant to be not committed to one another in the sense of like, yeah, I think I know their name and I say hi to them. I, I, I've shared with you guys, right? Like I, I love the church, big picture, big C church. I grew up in the church. I grew up in parachurch ministries. I'm about as inside, like pastor's kid, right? Like I'm about as inside, I can't, I literally can't think of a time in my life when there aren't pictures of me with the church, right? Like at youth group as a three-year-old and a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old. And then the moment I was old enough, starting to help lead ministries and going into juvenile delinquent, like I love, I say all of this so that you know, I deeply love the church. We have really screwed up commitment to one another. We have not done this well. It's very rare that I can think of the church and think of instances where there is genuine devotion to one another and commitment to one another, to placing one another above ourselves. It's why that song, we're going to send those lyrics out, when I can't see beyond myself, I think the church has not done this well. But remember, Joshua's a book of encouragement. God fights with us. God fights for us. He equips us. He positions us. So I believe that if he calls us to a standard of commitment to one another, he has equipped us to be committed to one another because all of this is rooted in Jesus. But let's look at how the people responded. So after Joshua says, verses 10 and 11, he says, Joshua commands the officers, pass through the midst of the camp, command the people. Okay, shared leadership, people submitted to it. Cool, check. Then what conversation does Joshua have? To the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock, they'll remain in this land that, that you've received. But you, the men of valor, shall pass over the river Jordan, armed before your brothers, before, keep in mind that word before, before your brothers, and shall help them until... The Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. What's this referencing? Oh, for this, we got to go back. You go back to Numbers 32. And in Numbers 32, as they're approaching the River Jordan, as they're approaching the Promised Land, the tribes of Gad, uh, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Manasseh was split into two tribes, and half of the tribe of Manasseh, they approached Moses and they said, hey, this land we're in right now, 
we feel like this is where we're supposed to be. May this be our inheritance. This is, we feel like this is where we're supposed to be. This is the land we would like to be our inheritance. This is the place we would like to be in. Is that okay with you? They're still submitted to Moses' leadership, but they're coming to him and they're saying, this is what we're feeling. And Moses is hesitant at first. If you read through all of Numbers 32, great chapter, read through Numbers 32. But Moses is hesitant. And the reason why he says, I don't like this because your forefathers did this. And the fear is that once you receive your inheritance on this side of the River Jordan, once you reach the good place, right, we're going to just refer to it generally, once you reach the place you want to be in personally, you will lose the motivation to help the rest of the people of Israel reach their inheritance. You'll be content to be here where it's good for you, and you'll kind of be like, yeah, the other people, they can go do their own thing. <laughs> like, we're in a good place, right? Like, my mortgage is paid off. My Bible reading is great. My prayer life is like, I'm in a good place. I hope they figure it out. And Moses says, I, I don't like this idea. And then listen to these verses, Numbers 32, 18 through 19. This is the immediate response of the people of these tribes. This is not a compulsion. They did not do this because they were forced to. This was their offer. This was their heart in this. They said, no, we will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel has gained his inheritance, for we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has come to us on this side of the Jordan. Moses says, I'm worried that your commitment to the rest of the family will wane once you reach where you want to be. And they say, no, no, we, we promise to fight for them. We promise to go before them armed. We promise to give ourselves to them so that they receive what they're promised as well. Only then will we return to our inheritance. And Moses takes this very seriously. And if you think God doesn't take this very seriously, in verse 32 to 23, Moses says, okay, okay, that's the promise you're making? All right. If you don't, God will hold this sin against you. God will count this sin against you if you abandon and neglect the rest of this tribe of people. If you have promised yourself to them, if you have committed yourself to them and you don't, God will count that as a sin and will hold you accountable for this. This is a very serious thing. But once again, you don't just see this in the Old Testament. You don't just see this in Numbers and in Deuteronomy. You don't just see this in Joshua. You see this continuing throughout Scripture, that those in a good place, those who have received their inheritance this side of the River Jordan, there is still a call to a commitment to the others. There is a call to be committed to the larger body, to sacrifice for the larger body, to fight for the larger body, even if you may feel like you're in a good place. Okay, great. I love hearing that. So now fight alongside your brothers and sisters who might not be. Romans 15, 1 through 2. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. The stronger Christians, the more mature Christians, we're not called, it's not this calling of, okay, you're in a more mature place, so you bear with the weaker people so that you can feel better about yourself. Right? Joe doesn't come alongside me and say, you know what, Joe, Joe's like, man, I'm passionate about prayer. My prayer life is on fire. My scripture's on fire. Sam's not. I'm going to come alongside Sam so I can remind him, well, I'm better than you. No, it says, I come alongside him to build him up for his good. Why? Because Joe loves me and Joe cares about me. This is what's laid out for the body of Christ in Romans 15. 
In 2 Corinthians 8, consider 2 Corinthians 8. Really, we could read all of 2 Corinthians 8. We're not going to. We're going to read verses 3 through 6 and 13 through 14. 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is writing, he says, For they gave, he's talking about the churches of Macedonia. Actually, I'm going to back up. We're going to read verse 1. So you can hear the context of the Macedonian churches in case we're tempted to kind of be like, well, that's Macedonia. They were in a really good place. No, let's look at where the church of Macedonia was. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, I love this next phrase, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Talk about two phrases that don't seem like they should go together. Actually, three phrases. They are in extreme poverty. The church in Macedonia is in extreme poverty. And out of that, an abundance of joy and a wealth of generosity has flowed. Paul is holding up the church in Macedonia. He says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Of their own accord. Once again, there is a willingness. There is a commitment. Nobody's forcing the Macedonian church to do this. Paul doesn't say the Macedonian church gave with an abundance of joy and wealth of generosity because I had a knife to their back. He says, no, I'll testify that they gave according to their means. And then by their own accord, they gave beyond their means. Well, Sam, are you, are you really stretching that of their own accord? Let's look at the next verse. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The church in Macedonia in extreme poverty is begging for the opportunity to take part in providing relief for other believers. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of saints, and this not as we expected. Paul freely is like, I, I didn't expect this. This is crazy. I, this was not my expectation. He says, not as we expected. But they gave themselves, here's the key, first to the Lord. See, the church in Macedonia was committed to the Lord. They were committed to being God's people as he called them to be in all of their capacity, even if they didn't fully understand. And because they first committed to the Lord, then by the will of God, they committed to us. Paul holds up the church in Macedonia of this. And then he goes on, okay, so Sam, are you saying that I need to sell my house? Like, no, don't twist this. Paul's not saying that we need to live some sort of stoic, ascetic, Spartan life, right? Like, I'm not saying you need to go sell your home, sell your car, sell all your clothes except for the ones on your back. Like, you can't have anything in your bank account. If you have anything in your bank account, you're not a real Christian. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what we're called to. Look what Paul writes. Talking, still talking about the church in Macedonia. Verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. But that is a matter of fairness, your abundance, listen to this verse, I mean, listen to this verse, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. This is a mutual commitment. This is not the Gadites, the Reubenites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Manasseh. Joshua didn't say, look, you need to give up your inheritance. You can never return to your inheritance. He said, no, you, you've got, you're in the good place. You've got what you need. You've got what you were promised. So now you go and you fight for those who are not yet there. Paul writing in Corinthians says, look, that you and your surplus supply for those in need. 
so that when the situations are reversed and they have a surplus and you have a need, they can now supply for you. There's this mutual reciprocity of I am committed to you. Why? What did he say about the church in Macedonia? Because first they were submitted and committed to the Lord. And because of their commitment to the Lord, they were committed to one another and they provided for one another. Galatians 5, 13 and 6, 1 through 2. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. He's writing to the church. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Church, if anyone among you is caught in transgression, when anyone among you is sinning and not where they should be, when they're failing, when they're struggling, you who are more mature, restore them in gentleness. This goes back to a commitment to the Lord and a commitment to one another through Jesus. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Don't neglect yourself. This isn't a, a total reckless abandonment of reality. Keep watch on yourself. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There's this expectation of bear one another's burdens, and he here he directly ties it to. I'm not just talking about materialistically. Right? Because sometimes, sometimes I think it's actually easier for us to just give money. Right? I hear of a hurricane sweeping through New Jersey or Louisiana. Right? It's, it's easy for me to say, all right, here's 100 bucks, you know, buy some paint, cool. It takes a lot more for me to say, okay, I'm going to give you my time. I'm going to give you my physical effort. I'm going to give myself to this cause, to this people. So, so yeah, he talks about materialistic relieving. Right? If you look at Macedonia, if you look at that Corinthians example, he's very talking about financial help providing supplies, providing food, right? Like he's talking about providing materially for people, physically for people. But here in Galatians, where he says, bear one another's burdens, he directly ties it to sin. He directly ties it to transgression, wrongdoing, behavioral problems. And he says, if anyone is caught in these things, you who are more spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill, where does it all come back to? The law of Christ. All comes back to Jesus. All comes back to the commitment to Jesus, the sacrifice for Jesus. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What did Jesus say the greatest commandment is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. Second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. This is the law of Christ. That it begins with that commitment to God. That it begins with that entire love of God. Of I give myself, everything in me, to God. And in that, because of that, through that, I give myself entirely to you as my fellow believer, as my family member. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Leadership is meant to be shared. The people are meant to respond to leadership. Leadership is meant to share the example. Why? Because we are meant to be in this together. We are meant to fight in this together. We are meant to fight for one another, to go before one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 And we urge you, brothers, listen to each of these phrases. We're going to stop and just quickly hit on each of these phrases. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Sometimes fighting for one another 
is going to look like a holy kick in the seat of the pants. Sometimes fighting for one another is going to look like admonishing the idol. It's going to look like Joe checking in with me and saying, hey man, how's your time with God going? Oh, you know, I was really busy like for these three weeks. And Joe says, dude, you've been telling me you were busy for a month now. No, you need to, you need to make God a priority. Sometimes fighting for one another is going to look like admonishing the idol and Joe calling me out when I'm not where I should be. I urge you, brothers, admonish the idol, encourage the faint-hearted. Sometimes it's going to look like just coming alongside of them and encouraging them. We've talked about many times this life is hard. There are battles. There are battles that we're all facing in different ways, in different times, in different seasons. Sometimes fighting for one another is going to mean coming alongside them and just encouraging them. The faint-hearted. Come alongside those who are faint-hearted. I'm going to keep using Joe. I use him as a bad example. I use him as a good example. Or just keep using Joe so nobody can feel offended other than Joe. Sometimes it's going to look like Joe coming alongside me and saying, man, Sam, I, I know life's been a struggle. Dude, I know. I know that's hard. I'm, I'm here with you. Let's pray together. How can I be there for you? God is with you. God is with you, Sam. I know this week was hard. I know this month was hard. I know this year was hard. God is with you. Sometimes that's what it's going to look like to fight for one another, is just to encourage the faint-hearted. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Sometimes it's going to be coming alongside someone who's more spiritually weak. Paul talks about these realities, spiritual maturity, spiritual depth, spiritual weakness. Sometimes it may look like coming alongside those who are more spiritually weak and just helping them. Where are you spiritually weak? Right? Like, think about a gym. Right? Like, Joe and I go to the gym. Joe's in good shape. I'm not. Joe teaches me how to lift. Right? Joe, like, I'm over in a machine just pulling pulleys, and he's like, no, man, that's a mop. Like, this is how you use this piece of workout equipment. You are weak right now. You are in a place of weakness right now. I'm here to just teach you and to train you. This is how you lift. This is when you lift. This is what muscle group. Oh, okay. And I can learn from Joe. Sometimes fighting for one another is just going to look like helping those who are weaker. And then be patient with them all. I love that final reminder. Be patient with them all. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Be patient with them all. And this goes back to everything else we've talked about. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. Bear with one another to please the neighbor, to build him up, to lift him up. Be patient with them all. You're talking to somebody who's idle? Okay, be patient with them. You're talking to someone who's faint-hearted? Be patient with them. You're talking to somebody who's weak? Be patient with them. Because just like Paul wrote in Corinthians, there very well may come a day, and probably will come a day, when you are the idle one, when I am the faint-hearted one, when I am the weak one, when I'm the one who needs admonished, when I'm the one who needs encouraged. So if I'm on the flip side of that, then I need to be patient. Because when Joe comes alongside me and admonishes me for being idle, he needs to do it with patience. So that when a year from now, three years from now, I come alongside him and admonish him for being idle, I extend that same patience. This is a commitment to one another. This is we've received our inheritance, but we will, we will cross the Jordan and we will fight before you. And I said, he lays out a standard. What does he say? Verse 14, 
Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord is giving them. Until. This isn't a one-month commitment. This isn't a one-year commitment. This is a blank check commitment. This is a, I love you, man. I'm in it with you. It takes a year. It takes five years. All right. I'm committed to you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to cry with you. I'm going to rejoice with you. I'm going to celebrate with you. The good, the bad, the fights, I'm there. It's not, okay, look, like when you ask for my help in getting on track with prayer, I thought you were talking about like three weeks. Like once the school year starts, I'm out. No, it's all right, let's do this. Let's fight together. Let's fight. Let's pursue this until you will go with them and you will fight before them until God has given them the land just as he gave you. This is what the body of Christ is meant to look like. And I love that we see this back in the Old Testament. It just shows you the interconnectedness of Scripture. It shows you that this has been God's plan. This has been God's design from the beginning. And He's laid it out for us. And so right now as we wrap up, the challenge for this week, I want you to read 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want you to read that this week. And I want you to connect with someone else in this church for some meaningful prayer. Or like absolutely text them, right? Like on a Monday, hey, I'm praying for you. But like connect, take, take a day or something, or maybe by this afternoon, figure out somebody. Get a time if you can to actually physically get together and pray for one another. Right, so that I get together with Mike and we actually carve out time in our schedules to pray for one another. And then throughout the rest of the week, I continue to pray for Mike. Because I believe strongly in prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. What scriptures say that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful as it is working. And praying for someone is simultaneously very easy to do and very hard to do. It's very easy because you're not giving up your bank account. You're not giving out your car. You're not selling your home. It's, right? it's a conversation. It's easy to pray with Joe because it's a conversation. It's talking. It's hard to pray with Joe because it requires me to be vulnerable and open and real with him. It's hard to pray with Joe because it requires me to accept a commitment for him. I don't take it lightly. If you ask me, hey, will you pray for this? Or if I say I'm going to pray for this, I take that very seriously. Right? So it's hard to say, Joe, how can I pray for you? Because I have now made a commitment to him, and that's hard. But as you read 1 Corinthians 12, as you consider this model set out for us in Joshua and the people of Israel, I want you to intentionally connect with someone else in this church, not your spouse. Pray with your spouse always. That's, that's, like, that's a challenge every week, right? Like, pray with your spouse always. Your kids, pray with your kids always. Like, family, always. That's a challenge every week. This week, find someone not in your household and connect with them in prayer to fight for them. Ask them, hey, how can I pray for you in battle this week? What are you fighting this week that I can be praying for? And then the prayer is simple for our own hearts. The prayer is simple. Lord, give me opportunities to come alongside people. Give me opportunities to cross the river and fight with people. Give me the wisdom to recognize these opportunities. 
And then the harder prayer that I'm still challenging you guys to pray is, Lord, give me the humility to admit when I need someone to come alongside me. Right? Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. Life's a dream. Is it really? Because I, I heard your hours were just cut in half. And I heard your kid just got diagnosed. And I heard that, like, really, it... God, give us the humility to be real. That when Joe asked me, hey, man, how can I fight for you in prayer? What are you battling this week? Oh, nothing. You know, traffic. I get stressed at traffic. That's the biggest fight in my life. No, Joe, this, this is really what I'm fighting this week. This is the war I'm, I'm engaged in. Would you pray with me in that? Lord, give us that humility to be real with one another so we can come alongside one another. This all goes back to what requires all of us. But when we're all engaged, it's a beautiful, powerful thing. Because why? God has fought for us. God is fighting with us. God has gone before us. God has promised us victory, eternal victory. It's a privilege to fight alongside one another, to advance God's kingdom together. But it will require a true commitment to one another. And so we're going to take a small bit of that this morning. I'm going to pray to start. And then we're just going to have, we're going to have 60 seconds of just quiet prayer. And I want you, you know, I told you this week, connect with someone not in your family. I'm guessing you're all sitting with people you know or related to. So in, the, in this time of quiet time, would you just, just go to battle for the person next to you in prayer right now? You might not know what they're fighting. You might not know specifics. But I'm going to open in prayer, and then we're going to have a time of quiet time. And would you just, just pour yourself out in prayer for the person around you, the people around you? If you're not sitting directly next to someone, quick, do, you know, do a subtle, like, pretend you have to cough into your elbow and look at who's to your side. But just pray for the people around you. Maybe you don't even know their name. That's okay. Lord, I pray for the lady two rows in front of me. I don't think we've ever talked. I don't know what she's facing. Would you just embolden her this week? God, I see this guy three, three chairs down. I don't know his name. We've never talked. Would you just pray for joy in you this week? Pray for one another. We need to be a body that's committed. I believe prayer is a powerful place to start. Please join me. Lord, we thank you for just the clarity that you put in your word and the, and, and the details that you lay out for us. We thank you for the testimony that you give us time and time again. God, we, we want to be people who are first and foremost, Lord, first and foremost, we want to be people committed to you. We want to be people just entirely given to you. And in that, through that, only by that, it's only through Jesus, we want to be people who are committed to one another. Would you burden our hearts with that, Lord? So for those of us here this morning who are idle, admonish them. Wake them up. For those of us here this morning who are faint-hearted, God, encourage them. Please encourage them. Show us how we can be an encouragement to the faint-hearted. Lord, for the weak, would you strengthen them? Would you carry them? Would you show us how to train them and disciple them and to come alongside them? And Lord, give us patience for one another as we truly seek what is best for one another. And what is best for one another is you. God, help us to be people who fight for one another. It's in Jesus' name we continue to pray.